Blog Talk Radio. to another edition of the Wednesday Night Sports Conversation on the Fight Network. I'm Don Henderson. Our normal crew is in place, ready to go this evening. Roy Cummings is in Tampa. We'll talk about those bucks and what happened last weekend. Roger Henler is in Atlanta, as always. 
Frank Cal, our executive producer behind the behind the dial and keeping things going. So we look for uh, a great night. Billy Wardell will join us. Mike Schulte will join us, the director of uh, uh, operations for the uh, ReliaQuest uh, Reli- Reli- Bowl. Got to get the new name in there, ReliaQuest Bowl. <laughs> Mike Zimzek and, of course, Doug Hamilton will all join us. And we'll start off at the top of the show with uh, our executive producer, Frank Carroll, because we've got a sad note and a couple of things we want to talk about at the top of the show. So, uh, Dan Dockery leads it off. Uh, Frank, go ahead. Yeah. But Dan Doherty was a young man who uh, started his basketball career at um, St. Uh, Pius X uh, in Pottstown in 1959-61. He went on to, from there to uh, Pencrest. Uh, he stayed there about a year. Then he went on to Malvern Prep. He was at Malvern Prep for four years. He went, then went to uh, uh Episcopal Academy, where they stayed almost 20 years. On that last uh, gig at, uh, at Episcopal, he also joined the great Jack Kraft as assistant coach of the uh, Villanova Wildcats, and in fact did not only win the uh, NCAA uh, uh, title, but he also won the MIC title. Um, Dan had a, a terrific mind uh, for basketball, and as a matter of fact, the the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer had dubbed him as the winningest coach in the Philadelphia high school uh, basketball history. Uh, he finished his uh, his basketball career uh, at the univer- at the United States Military Academy. After they fired Bobby uh, Bobby Knight, they brought in Dan Doherty from '67 to '71. Um, Dan was not only a, a tremendous person uh, on the field, off the field. He uh, really did uh, put his mark on most of the students that he had. He was a tr- tremendous mathematician, uh, tr- uh, and I know that for a fact because uh, he taught my wife uh, at Pius X. And uh, they, they, all the people of Pius X, whenever we're together, first name that comes up is Dan Doherty. So he was always held in high regard. The other one is a member of our staff who's uh, not feeling too well right now. And... Uh, We'd like to ask our, our friends out there that they keep a good thought. Or if you do say a prayer, please say a prayer for uh, Leo Haggerty. Uh, Leo's going through some tough times right now uh, physically, and uh, we wish him the very best uh, uh, getting back to health as soon as possible. So we would ask you to just keep him in your prayers. Uh, that always helps. Absolutely. He, he, about he, that. Yeah, no you know, question he, he about it. A, yeah. He is a sports uh, icon in, in the uh, locker rooms. Of I've never seen anybody get thrown out of a locker room faster than Leo. But uh, <laughs> he was never he was he was never the sports icon of the gentleman that we have, and, and that's uh, gentleman Roy Cummings. Well, Roy's standing by right now in Tampa, Florida, and we've got a lot of things to talk about. We'll get to the Phillies in just a second, but. Got to talk with Roy, first of all. He covered the Bucks for so long a period of time. Now, Roy, last Sunday had to be <clears throat> a major disappointment. <clears throat> Not only the people that uh, follow the Bucks, but uh, also what's happening with Mr. Brady's company. Yeah, it is, uh, it's one of the top stories around the NFL right now. I mean, you've got some really good stories uh, 
happening there, obviously, uh, with the way the Jets are playing, uh, what's happening in San Francisco, obviously Kansas City and, you know, Buffalo. But one of the bigger stories is clearly what has gone wrong in Tampa Bay. And, um, you know, you could probably throw a dart at the board uh, with, a you know, a dozen different uh, excuses on there as to what's happened or reasons for their uh, slump here. And, and you'd be right with every one of them. I mean, it's everything it seems from uh, – you know, lack of preparedness, uh, Brady not maybe, you know, maybe not playing up to his, certainly not playing up to his level, although, what is he, third or, you know, fourth in the league in passing uh, yardage, but uh, it appears as though maybe he might have a little bit of a rotator cuff injury that's affecting his throwing on some passes. Uh, you know, Pro Bowl players like Mike Evans dropping uh, passes with nobody around him. Um, you know, and, and I'll say this, what happened last week in Carolina where the Bucks were just embarrassed, um, I think it all, I, I, I honestly believe that if Mike Evans catches that first deep ball, uh, six plays into the game, uh, it, it probably goes the other way and, and the Bucks probably win, you know, 38 to, to seven. Um, but, uh, for whatever reason that set a tone on both sides of the ball and, uh, Carolina took advantage and, and Tampa couldn't come back. And, uh, and along with that, you know, much like that, a lot of sloppy play uh, on both sides. Uh, offensive line not playing up to its capabilities. Uh, defensive line missing a lot of uh, assignments, missing tackles. Um, you know, allowing uh, – this is a team that, you know, was number one in the league against the run a year ago uh, in the last two years, really. Uh, now they're giving up, you know, more than 100-plus yards a game. Um, did it again last week, you know, and they're facing a team that's clearly tanking. That's that's the most amazing thing is you, you've gone up against two opponents here in a row now in uh, Pittsburgh and Carolina. There's two teams that, you know, one of them for sure is tanking. That's Carolina after selling off uh, every decent player they've got just about uh, and firing their coach, uh, which we can talk about as well with Matt Rule. I'm not sure that was the best move. Um, but uh, they just they haven't looked good in any way, and, you know, I think there's some complacency that's settled in, and that's biting them in the butt. Um, lack of uh, uh, detail uh, on assignments is biting them in the butt. Uh, poor execution, biting them in the butt, uh, you name it. Um, it's just about everything. So interesting game for them tomorrow, opportunity, a good, a good opponent, maybe against a better opponent, uh, they wake up. i got to think they do because um, clearly they've embarrassed themselves uh, over the course of the last two weeks. Roger, you didn't have a chance probably to see the game because you're in Atlanta and you probably saw the Falcons and some of the other games last weekend, but Roy hit the nail right on the head when Evans dropped that ball 20 yards behind everybody. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a catch you make 99% of the time, and he just didn't catch it. And uh, from there, it all went downhill. Roger? Well, I've seen seen a lot of highlights of it, and I've also listened, listened to a lot of sports talk about it and uh roy uh you're hit you hit the nail on the head now a lot of the speculation or comments is that the team is not disciplined at all and now i'd like your comment of whether you think that's right or not but that's what many nationally are saying but the team has got to be in disarray uh because of brady in in some fashion fashion or not do you agree about yeah. that? Yeah, I, I can't argue with anyone who says that uh, a lack of discipline is part of the problem because there's a couple of ways to look at that. Uh, the, the first way for me 
is, as I said, a lack of discipline in terms of, you know, following your assignment, carrying out your assignment on each particular play. That That's a lack of discipline, too. Uh, defensively, you've got certain keys that you have to follow, uh, certain rules, as they say, uh, that you have to uh, abide by depending on the play, you know, in terms of, you know, markers, where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to let a receiver go, um, what gap you're supposed to plug uh, against the run, uh, when you're supposed to blitz, that kind of thing, uh, how deep to blitz, and, uh, you know, and all that kind of thing. And a lot of that is being missed. That's, a, that's one form of discipline. I think the other form of discipline, and we talked about this before, is that, uh, again, when, when the leader of your team, when Tom Brady checks out for 11 days during training camp and checks out again uh, the first couple of Wednesdays of, uh, of the season, which is, you know, your first practice day of the week, uh, and then checks out the Saturday before a game on the road, uh, I can see other guys checking out as well, uh, you know, not just mentally, but, you know, in terms of effort. And, you know, I think we've seen that. Uh, you know, there's been some effort issues as well with this team. Right now, it, it's an absolute mess. That's why I said at the top of the segment, guys, that you could literally put a dozen different uh, reasons for the Bucks' uh, failure in the last two weeks. And the fact that they're where they are, they you know, where they, they are where they are, and, let, and throw a dart and you wouldn't be wrong. It, it, it is everything. I mean, this is a team that, that needs to run the ball and they're running for three yards a carry. This is a team that was supposed to, they're not running. They're not tough. I think with, with most football teams, problems start up front uh, with both lines. And I think in this case, um, that's where the problems start here. But you know what? Under center is an issue too. And uh, they're, they're hurting. They're really hurting in a lot of ways. Roy, I think another thing, uh, as we look at it, and, you know, uh, Tom Brady continues to, to do his podcast. I have to be very honest with you. I've never actually heard it. But it gets a lot of write-ups over the course of the week. And this mm-hmm. week, again, uh, talking about the things that the team didn't do, I'm assuming he included himself in that group. But they went up against a team that was in total disarray. They fired his coach. They traded their leading player. Uh, there's no way that you should go into Carolina with where they were in, uh, in their situation team-wise and just get wiped out like that. No, the Buccaneers should have been able to beat the Carolina Panthers uh, last Sunday with uh, nothing but second stringers. Um, that's that's how poor of a team that uh, Carolina fielded. And you know what? Uh, as I said that, uh, I'm checking myself because obviously they, they beat the Bucs and they outplayed them in every facet of the game, and they deserved the win. Um, you know, and it just goes to show you that in the NFL, you know, that any given Sunday is absolutely true. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what the situation is. Uh, if you don't show up and play hard and uh, and follow the game plan and execute, you can get beat by a, a much lesser team. And it's happened to the Bucks two weeks in a row now. And, uh, you know, as these things go forward, uh, you know, they've got a tough game tomorrow, a tough opponent tomorrow. It's not, it's not a team that, you know, is checked out uh, as Carolina has. It's not a team that's uh, uh, really struggling the way Pittsburgh is. Uh, it's a team that's uh, got uh, an eye on a playoff spot, and rightfully so. And, you know, I think it's going to bring the best out of the Bucks. I, I think they're embarrassed enough. They should be. Um, you know, injuries have hurt the Bucks a little bit, but uh, what, what's happened the last couple of weeks has nothing to do with injuries, guys. It, it has everything to do with uh, poor discipline, as, uh, as Roger alluded to. And, uh, and there's two forms of that, and they're guilty of, uh, you know, not, not showing up in both areas. 
Well, one thing they go against Harbaugh tomorrow night. He doesn't play to lose. He plays to win. Unfortunately, he's made a couple of unfortunate decisions in a couple of the games uh, that uh, cost this team a win. But he'll be ready to go tomorrow night. There's no question about that. Roger, uh, how about your Falcons? What's going on uh, in Atlanta that you want to touch on? Well, they got blown out by the Bengals on Sunday. That game was over pretty quick. And it's surprising because uh, I think that uh, I, I thought that they turned the corner and uh, were on the uh, the right path. And I know on Sunday I was listening to a pregame show after church and uh, Rich McKay's on every week, and, and that's what he thought too. But obviously uh, not ready for prime time, at least against uh, Joe Burrow, and the Bengals, and what a Burrow was, I think, passed for, what, almost 500 yards or over 500 yards, uh, which is uh, phenomenal. I, I do think the Bengals are going to have trouble when they uh, just continue to pass so much, but, you know, who's who's to say? Uh, but that's it. Hopefully they uh, will have gotten a, a real bad game out of their system, and, uh, you know, they'll get back to writing the ship. But that was Roger, a disaster. Sometimes- Roger, you know, you're, you're right. It, 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 it did look like the Falcons were, uh, you know, holding their heads above water and, and it maybe turned a corner and figured some things out. And then you have a game like last week and you start to question all that. But sometimes, especially with a team like Atlanta is right now, where you're, you, you are trying to find yourself. You, you've got some new pieces in there and you're trying to figure some things out. Sometimes a game like that, especially early in the season, is good for you. Because mm-hmm. it reminds you that, hey, we're not where we think we were. And we've got to continue to put in the work. Um, you know, there's no way you can get complacent after a, a loss like that. And uh, I just think the way, from what I've seen of Atlanta, I, I think they'll respond to that. Um, I, I still think they're a 500, better, a better than 500 football team this year, and uh, anxious to see how they respond. Because I, I, I think that's a, I think that's a team that uh, is is on the road back. They're not, they're not going to get there this year, but I think they're a team that's clearly on the right path back to where they need to be. Well, you know, Roy, they, they uh, two of their uh, division opponents are Carolina and New Orleans and the Saints. I mean, unless they turn it around, they're really in trouble. And uh, what's really funny is that uh, the deal that the Eagles made with uh, the Saints, if, that, if the draft was to be right now, they would also have uh, the fourth pick in the draft because of the deal they made with the Saints. So, Howie Roseman, man, I'll tell you what, he went from being, from being a bum in the park to be, being the king <laughs> of the mountain, I'll tell you. And really yeah, going back sure. to the South, going back to the South for just a moment, nobody, I mean, nobody's winning. So even though the, even though the Bucks got off to a terrible start, and even though they lost the game, everybody thought they should have won last weekend, the week before against Pittsburgh. I mean, they're still right there in the hunt. Nobody's over 500. You know, and it's amazing because you think about it. You know, just a couple of years ago, guys, uh, <laughs> this division had had uh, three quarterbacks that are, you know, potentially Hall of Famers, two that are sure Hall of Famers, and you can make a case for Matt Ryan, I think. Um, it was arguably, you know, one of the toughest divisions in the NFL. Uh, a team in Carolina that I, you know, had arguably one of the five best players in the game uh, and Christian McCaffrey, and now you look at these, uh, all four of them, and, you know, you, can you pick out a, a solid team out of any of them? 
No. Yeah. In fact, Roger, Atlanta might be the best of the bunch. It could Despite be. the fact that they uh, got hit pretty hard last week. They might be the best of the bunch. Yeah, and, and you know, I agree with you. I do think that they can turn it around and uh, and possibly make the uh, the playoffs. Because, But the thing is, you also have some surprises. Who would have thought that the Giants, Roy, would be 5-1? and one? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the Jets uh, would, would would be winning as well. Yeah. No, it's, it's what's amazing is, you know, quickly, uh, you know, the tide has turned a little bit in the NFC East, uh, where it seems like everybody's a contender again, and uh, and in the NFC South, where nobody's a contender. I mean, at the beginning of the year, you know, not, there wasn't a whole lot of thought about, you know, where New Orleans, Atlanta, and Carolina were going, but you, you thought for sure Tampa was in the mix, and you didn't really know what to make of the East, but right now, you could get three playoff teams out of the East as well. So uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's quite impressive uh, well, the change that's uh, been made there, that's for sure. Roger, the Eagles made another step up, uh, move with the Bears this afternoon, and it uh, uh, seems like the moves they've made, every one of them have been very positive. <laughs> that's what I said. Howie's the king of the mountain. They got, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier, they got Robert Quinn, uh, Roy, I guess you probably saw it, the uh, – a former pro bowler had a lot of yeah. sacks last year for the bears and they gave up a, a fourth round to get him because they, uh, they had a loss of one of the uh, linemen uh, gone for the year with an ACL. So, uh, Hey, listen, uh, he, he doesn't stop. He, he takes care of things. And I think also what I'm happy, I I'm interested to see. Um, I think with this rotation, uh, it'll, um, uh, uh, we'll get to see more about Jordan Davis. Uh, you know, he's been playing, I guess, 25, roughly in the 25 play per game. But uh, I don't know whether they uh, count when he's also a blocker on special teams for uh, extra points and field goals. And uh, But I think that giving him more playing time, we're gonna, going to see him uh, develop even more, uh, you know, as he was like, I went the defensive player of the year uh, at uh, Georgia last year. Roy, I think another thing, uh, you like to see a, an organization, and the Jets have certainly really changed in uh, the way they run their operation right now. I mean, they lose what had to be the rookie of the year for the first six games of the season when Hall went down with the ACL. He's out for the rest of the season. What a What a first six games he had, and even – the game on Sunday was, was magnificent before he went down. Uh, but they went right out before the day was up and got themselves another running back. They're, they make, they're making moves. They, just like the Eagles are doing, they're making something. Go, somebody goes down, they make a move right away. Yeah, I think teams are starting to realize that, you know, look, draft picks matter, especially when you're a young building team, which both the Eagles and the Jets are. But you've got a shot this year. You look at the landscape and you say, okay, you know, can we get it done this year? Well, in, in both divisions, you better stay on top of everything because, you know, you've got teams around you that are, that are just as good, if not better. You know, and with the Jets, you've got Buffalo. You've got Miami playing well. New England's always going to be an issue. Uh, we know what's happened in the NFC East. We already talked about that. You've got to go out and make moves. And uh, they're fortunate uh, that these things happen before the trade deadline, which comes up next week. So, uh, go out and do what you can. Uh, try to get that draft pick back uh, in some other form or fashion later on. But right now you worry about winning now. And when you see yourself off to a good start, 
you dive all in on this season, and uh, that's what both teams are doing. You're right. Um, look, it's it's very intriguing. It's it, it's made for some really interesting football, obviously, throughout New York and obviously all the way down to Philadelphia and, and further. So it's really fun. Well, it's Phil, good. Phil, Philadelphia right now is in the driver's seat. Uh, Billy Wardell is going to join us the next half hour, and, <clears throat> and uh, so I don't want to talk too much baseball with the Phillies. But uh, I would like to touch for a moment on the Flyers because uh, the Lightning have gotten out of the gate a little bit slowly. Uh, the Flyers have gotten great guard, great goaltending from Hart, which they'd had before, but hadn't gotten in the last couple of years. So the Flyers have gotten out of the gate. Some of your thoughts on the National Hockey League in the early run? Yeah, obviously the Lightning. Uh, look, they, you know, Tampa was known as Champa Bay uh, for champions, uh, you know, when they won a Super Bowl and a Stanley Cup and uh, the Rays were in the World Series. But uh, they've slid from that uh, from that perch, that's for sure. The Lightning in last place right now in their division uh, in the NHL. And the Flyers, look, I am not surprised. Uh, I thought that uh, bringing in John Tortorello was a tremendous move uh, for the Flyers considering the makeup of the team. Uh, if those guys buy in, and look, it's probably a short lifespan, two, three years tops for torts uh, before guys start to tune him out a little bit. But uh, right off the bat, you know, he's got guys playing hard. They're not quitting. Um, I mean, you see it in the scores, down one nothing, 2 nothing, 3 nothing. They come back and they win. And uh, and they're getting good goaltending because they're, they're playing more defensive-oriented hockey. Um, right. They're playing a lot, you know, uh, there is a, there's structure there now where there wasn't necessarily structure before. It was, you know, they tried to put it in place, but it just didn't quite work. Uh, Torts isn't going to stand for it. Uh, if you don't play the structured style that he wants, you won't play. And so uh, if you want if you want to play, you're going to have to buy in. And right now everybody's buying in, and and it's good. It's really good. I mean, I, I look, I think the NHL is better when the Flyers are a good team. And uh, right now they are, and uh, it's fun to watch, that's for sure. Roger, we'll get Tom LeMain with us next week. He covers the Flyers in and out uh, every week in Philadelphia. We'll get a chance to chat with him a little bit. Uh, anything you want to touch on before we jump to the yeah. Phillies and get, uh, get Roy's ob- uh, observation of what's happening there? Go ahead. Yeah, just uh, it's one other thing I, about the uh, Jets that you fellows were talking about. i got to give a lot of credit to Joe Douglas, the general manager, who was Howie Rosen's first uh, uh, first uh, lieutenant, you know, before he took the uh, Jets job, and he was on the hot seat last year. But the, the other thing about the Flyers, the one thing, Roy, Don, and Frank, that, I, uh, that I'm really uh, happy about is that the uh, Wells Fargo Center is now getting a crowd again. Because the last year especially, it was like a, uh, a, a, the fans had left. Uh, the arena and uh, it's just nice to get the atmosphere now a lot of that may be due to the Phillies uh, situation going to the World Series and also right now the Eagles are undefeated but uh, you know that uh, but I'm happy I mean happy for the Flyers and I think Tort has done a great job as you said Roy getting organization which they had lost and yet I thought Elaine Vigneault was a uh, really good coach, and he did a, a great job uh, for uh, several years, and all of a sudden things fell apart. So you never know. You're right about Elaine Vigneault. I, I mean, look, I thought that was a tremendous uh, pickup as well at the time. I liked it, and I thought he did a good job early on. But uh, for whatever reason, the, the, the message just didn't get through, and uh, you know, there were just too many breakdowns. I think the makeup of the team – 
hurt him as well. Um, you know, there just wasn't a lot of strength on the blue line, and that's something that's been addressed. Uh, again, when I say strength, it's, it's not just structure, but in that case, there just wasn't a whole lot of talent there, uh, defensive talent. There was more about moving the puck, things like that, um, which is important. I mean, that's, that's how the game is now. But uh, you've also got to remember that uh, before you can move it forward, you've got to defend it. And, uh, and, and I think just that has really been, uh, you know, that message has been driven home uh, with these guys. You're right. A- anytime you're filling up the building there, it- it's much better. And, uh, look, I, they're giving them a reason to come and, and stay around for 60 minutes. You know, the Flyers are giving you a good 60-plus minutes of hockey right now every time you go out and watch them play. It's an entertaining brand of hockey, and so they're going to continue to uh, to fill up the building. Look, Philadelphia is a hockey town. Always has been ever since the Flyers were, were brought on, and uh, they'll always love that team. I mean, it's to me, the Flyers have always been kind of the essence of, of Philadelphia, um, and, and they're playing that, you know, that grinded-out tough style that, uh, that people there love. Roy, uh, hold in with uh, was going to stay away from the baseball, but uh, Billy Wendell's tied up a little bit right now. So we're going to go. You just tell us when you're ready to go to eat dinner. But uh, just some of your thoughts on the baseball playoffs, uh, the Yankees, uh, the Phillies, uh, how things developed, and as we look forward to Friday night and the World Series. Yeah, look, I think if first of all, obviously, if you said to anybody in June, July, August, even September. Uh, the Phillies are going to be in the uh, World Series. Uh, you, uh, somebody's making some good, good money in uh, in Vegas on that. Let's 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 say that for sure. And look at halfway through the season, the, obviously the Astros were a team that uh, you have to respect in every way. But um, who who wouldn't have picked the Yankees to be there? And, and that's what I was rooting for was the Yankees uh, Flyers World Series. But you know, despite their flaws. And they still have them. There's no question. They have them. Defensively, they're not solid. Uh, but And the starting pitching after the first two is, is a little shaky at times. Uh, but the Flyers are winning. They're just playing winning winning baseball. I, I love what they're doing. I mean, you know, you got Kyle Schwarber stealing second base, sometimes third base in situations where, uh, you know, because people are, are falling asleep on them. You can't sleep on the Flyers, on the, Flyers, on the Phillies. You just can't sleep on them. And uh, – they're getting the power from the power bats. Uh, I think they've just – the confidence – you can just see it. The confidence in that entire team has grown over the course of this postseason here, whereas I think they went in a little bit unsure of where they belong. Do they – well, do they – you know, they probably felt like they belonged there, but they probably weren't too sure about how far they were going to go. But it's almost like with each passing game, guys, these guys develop a lot more confidence in how they're playing. And, you know, everybody's playing – pretty much at the top level of their game, except maybe Castellanos. But, uh, you know, look, JT Riomuto's playing, Hoskins is playing, Baum's playing. Uh, they're getting key hits out of guys that, you know, didn't necessarily hit all that well, you know, thought for the course of the season, struggled obviously. But uh, he's coming up with big hits now. And obviously, let's face it, the, the MVP, uh, Bryce Harper, is playing like an MVP. He is proving that that contract was well worth it. Um, they might have stolen uh, Bryce Harper for what he's got done for him this year alone. <laughs> uh, he has been absolutely exceptional, guys. And uh, it's, it's just, again, it's, one, it's a great story, and it's fun to watch. And I hope they uh, – I'm pulling for him in the World Series, that's for sure. Well, Roger, when uh, the owner grabbed him after the game, 
<laughs> when they put it away after Harper hit the home run in the ninth inning, or bottom of the eighth inning to win it, uh, he said the three hundred thirty million was not enough. You should have given him more. Be <laughs> <laughs> careful what you say there. You might end up having to do that. I know. Well, you know, the other thing is what's interesting uh, is that uh, the price of World Series tickets is sky high. However, you get them at face value if you get, uh, take a uh, season ticket plan for next year. So what's going to happen is you're going to have all this money in the bank for the season tickets for next year, and you're getting a, a good deal at face value to go to the World Series. Why wouldn't you take a, a, a season deal, you know, a partial plan, and get a couple of tickets or whatever? Makes sense to me. I think it's a great idea. And, guys, you know, I, I guess I, – I, look, I still think, obviously, the, the Astros are favored to win here. But, you know, as we've talked about before, uh, if, if the Phillies can win a game – in, in, in Houston, and then bring it back to Philadelphia, and uh, and you've got that crowd, which just gives them an extra boost. Uh, it can be special. I mean, I'm not counting the Phillies out in any way. Uh, they could easily uh, make this thing extremely interesting, and I'm sure they will. Roger, well, you, you know, made a point before we went on the air with Roy, and maybe you touch on it again. Uh, first of all, I, I, I – I dislike their commercials for their merchandise. I think they're lousy commercials about buying merchandise. But as you pointed out, it's an all-time record, right? Yeah, it, they uh, they set an all-time Major League Baseball record for sale of merchandise by a team uh, right after, I guess, with the first day, whatever it is, uh, after uh, the uh, uh, a playoff, a, a, like a World Series or uh, – uh, or league championship series. That's what I, w- I was told, and that's what the, has been published uh, in mu- multimedia uh, 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 avenues. But th- the other thing is, th- uh, getting back to uh, the World Series, I'll tell you, I would have thought it probably would have been the Yankees and the Dodgers. I really did. And, uh, and 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 the uh, Padres maybe after especially after they got Soto and the deals that they made, Roy. But uh, yeah, I never thought that it would be the Astros. And even though I know the Astros are really good, I never thought it would be the Astros and the Phillies. No, I didn't either. I'm right there with you. Um, I, I, I certainly thought the Yankees were the best team, and there was a time when I thought Seattle could uh, could actually get there because they were doing a little bit of what the Phillies have done. Uh, you know, down the stretch and, uh, you know, coming on strong. And, uh, but, uh, and, and, you know, hey, Cleveland as well. You know, that's another team that, uh, yeah. I mean, what it's, what it's showing, guys, is that baseball, is, it's, just, it's just hard to beat. I mean, it, right now you've got, a, a, you know, a dozen teams that, that, are, that are strong and competitive and uh, anything can happen in the, in the playoffs, it seems, and, uh, and it is happening. And, uh, it's making for some for some you know we're seeing great baseball is what we're seeing and that's mm-hmm. really good and um, and it's just a, it's special that uh, especially for our audience and for us that uh, the Phillies are leading the charge. And well, the everybody pulls for an underdog. They love underdogs, Roger, and, and the Phillies were an underdog all the way. Well, I'll, I will tell you the, there's a great uh, video of uh, Chris Russo, the Mad Dog. Oh, and the Phillies website of an interview that he did on high heat with Mike Schmidt. And it's got a lot of the highlights from 1980. It's on the Phillies.com. 
But it's really a great, a great interview Chris did with uh, Mike. But also just to see all that video, uh, Don, uh, Frank, especially we remember on the AstroTurf, that also awful AstroTurf uh, at Veterans Stadium. But the, the person that I'm happiest for is Dan Baker, that he is going to be able to do another World Series as the uh, PA announcer for the Phillies in his 50th anniversary season. With everything he's been through medically, I'll tell you, I, I told Dan this, and I, I'm happiest for him. Guys, I'll leave you with this, uh, and it's just kind of a, a nod to what you just said, Roger. You're absolutely right. I hope at some point uh, during the World Series, uh, whoever's carrying it, I'm Fox or whatever, is uh, I, I hope they take some time out and, and do a segment on uh, on Dan Baker because uh, you're right. He's, he's he's as much a part of the Phillies as the red logo and the and everything else. So uh, you're right. He's been there longer than certainly anybody. Uh, just, with like the Bob Shepherd. just like Bob Shepard. Just like Bob Shepard. I mean, yeah, exactly. they do and, millions of And Pat Piper with the Cubs. And I would love to see them uh, just do a segment on him to, to honor him for all the work that he's done. And you're right, sir. For, uh, for the fact that he's, he's hung in there for so long. Guys, i got to run. Well, yeah, so. Roy, before you go, let me just say this. They did a survey, and uh, it's a, a guy that Don and I know, I forget who it was, from the sports writers. But believe it or not, he has done 20, announced 20% of all the, major, the uh, okay. major league baseball players' names in history. That's unbelievable when you think about it. <laughs> that, that really it. is. But that's 50 I mean, when you years. Look back at the, yeah, when you look back at the history of the game and how many players have played the game, it's, it's just incredible. I mean, you know, look, we're all fans of the old baseball encyclopedia. It's not necessary anymore right. because, uh, you know, but we all have that. And uh, we all, I'm sure, like you guys, like I do, you guys probably pull it out every once in a while and just, you know, thumb through an old season. And to imagine that one man has actually announced the names of, of 20% of all the players who have played the game is just it's a remarkable uh, achievement, and uh, you know, as we we mentioned before earlier in the season, when he, you know, when he uh, celebrated his 50th year and everything else, yeah, I just hope they uh, hope they do the right thing and uh, give him a nod nationally because he certainly earned it. He sure Roy did. Cummings, thank you very very Thanks, much. As always, great great, great first half yeah, hour, and let's look forward to tomorrow night and see what the Bucks can do as <laughs> they take 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 on those Ravens. Thanks a lot. Indeed, and we'll talk about it next week, guys. Thanks, Roy. Have okay, a great thanks, Roy. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We're going to switch gears now and go from pro football to pro baseball to a little college football. And, and uh, where's Mike Schulte, Director of Communications for the Elias Guest Bowl? And, and we're going to check chance with uh, talk with him a little bit. Uh, the Big Ten, a big part of it. The Southeast Conference, a big part of the teams that draw for the Elias Guest Bowl. And uh, Mike. Uh, Big game this weekend. Penn State didn't show up too well against Michigan, but it's going to be interesting to see what they do this weekend. Yeah, it, it sure is. By the way, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure why I always have to follow Roy Cummings. That's a tough act to follow. But uh, <laughs> um, we, we want to yeah. we want to put a little pressure yeah, on you. We want to. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Penn, yeah, Ohio State, Penn State. That's a big game, uh, obviously, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, they're obviously, as you know, they're both in the East Division of the Big Ten. They're not only just in the Big Ten together, they're both in the East Division. And so, uh, you know, right now, Michigan, uh, Penn State has a loss, and Ohio State has a loss, or doesn't have a loss, 
and Michigan doesn't have a loss, but Ohio State and Michigan got to play each other. So what would what would happen if Penn? If so, this why this is really important because if Penn State beats Ohio State this weekend and gives them a loss, okay, and then and Ohio State beats Michigan and gives them a loss, they'll all have one loss, right? So uh, then. Uh, you know, you go through the tiebreaker situation. So that that's going to be really uh, interesting, um, you know, in regards to the outcome of this. Uh, now, obviously, if Ohio State beats uh, Penn State, then it would probably just come down to Michigan-Ohio State at the end. But, um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of potential repercussions of this, uh, this game, depending on which way it goes. And I, I think it's going to be um, a real good game, um, though uh, obviously I, I think Ohio State's going to be favored. Well, they are. So, uh, right now, they're favored uh, by 15 and a half points, which uh, seems to be a little bit high, uh, you know, because, uh, well, I, I don't know. It just seems to be a little bit high. But, of course, the Tennessee game is going to be big this week. Uh, Florida State's got a, a pretty good game against Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, Notre Dame and Syracuse a good weekend. Uh, well, how was yeah, your Notre trip? Notre Dame Syracuse is a really interesting game. Right. You took a family trip there, too. How did you make out with the uh, Taking your daughter to the game. Uh, well, we went to the Florida State Clemson game a couple weeks ago. That was fun. She's, right. She's my daughter's up at Florida State right now, and then uh, I'm taking my son to the Georgia Florida game this weekend. Um, oh, so, so uh, we got we got that's going to be a lot a lot of fun. That's you know I know you know even though Georgia is number one, their favorite obviously in that game. Um, you know, those rivalry kind of games, I always say you throw the records out because there's too many other things that, that can go into those games. And those are, 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 are games that are, are, are primed for, for upsets. So uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting um, game up in Jacksonville this weekend for that one. But uh, Georgia, 22-point favorite in that game. A little surprising. 22.5. 20, 22 and a half points favor Georgia. Yeah, you know, and and again, I mean, you know, I, I understand them being favored, but you know, they they've had some games this year where they didn't look quite as sharp as you would, you know, you would think. And um, you know, and th- again, this is a this is one of the hugest rivalries in college football. Um, so you know, this this game could a win in this game could make Florida's season. Uh, not not to throw out the rest of the season or anything, but. Um, you know they, they this you know so that's that's they're going to make it as tough on on Georgia as they can possibly do it, and uh, and you just never know. So that that's going to be, uh, I think, a, a heck of a battle. Now at the end of the day, you know Georgia may end up winning, but um, like I said, I, I think I think uh, frankly I, I think there's a very good chance it could be a whole lot closer than that, and 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 then you know if it is, then who knows. Um, Roger and Tennessee, well, uh, Kentucky is going to be a really, really interesting battle too because they're, you know, they're they're both, uh, um, well, you know, again a border war there and and I think uh, um, you know Tennessee obviously is is hot right now they're hitting on all cylinders, cylinders but uh, you know Kentucky's uh, you know they they got some weapons too so it'll be interesting to see how uh, how they come out and and I, I think they're going to need to start well against uh, Tennessee. Uh, to uh, to make sure they don't get uh, behind early, but I, I think that could be another another big game for both of those teams. Mike, uh, uh, yeah, I wanted to say, uh, getting back to the Ohio State Penn State game, 
the uh, young man that I have followed uh, since he started in college, actually go, going back to when he was in prep school and at the IMG Academy is Teron Vincent, Troy's uh, second son. And uh, he's a, a starting defensive tackle at Ohio State, number six. But uh, forget all the stats and everything, which he has some great stats. Uh, even more important to me is this young man's already graduated uh, with his degree, graduated in May. Uh, he uh, has a degree in sports uh, management. Uh, but he also uh, was an uh, honorable mention uh, All-Big Ten scholar-athlete. Uh, he was academic All-Big Ten, and it's been like every year he's been academic Big Ten. Uh, well, Ro- I know well, Roger, wasn't he down here? Didn't he play down here in Sarasota in high school? Wasn't he, he did. did. He come he played at the, yeah, he played at the yeah. IMG Academy. He did. Right, exactly. And he, and exactly. Yeah, he, well, he was at a prep school, uh, I know the name of it, but in Baltimore. And then Troy uh, took, when he was being interviewed, I, I saw this interview, and he was asked, well, why did you send him to the IMG Academy? And his comment was, hey, I'm spending X number of thousands of dollars a year in Baltimore, and this kid loves football, and he's going to get his education, and he's going to get to play better football. But I just think it says a lot about him. He was the number one defensive tackle coming out of his class in high school at uh, 18, and in 22 he's already got his degree. But because of injury, he still has two more years well, this year and next year for eligibility. So, uh, and he's doing well. So uh, that's my point, uh, Mike. That I think so many times we talk about a lot of other things, but when you have a great scholar-athlete, and he's not the only one, but there needs to be more emphasis on this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, I'll tell you that one of the one of the most um, the best things, I guess, uh, part of parts of my job um, every year is when we get to bowl week and the players come to town, the teams come to town. And every year you have different teams, different players, of course, different schools represented, um, and it's always fun to see because they all have their different traditions and they have their different type fan followings and all that kind of stuff. But you also get to see the players, you know, when they're going around all the different events and activities that we have playing for them through the week and, and so forth. And you meet these young men and, and you're right. I mean, these, you know, when, you know, you spend a lot of time with them without the pad, the, the pads and the helmets on, right. I mean, you see them on, on game day, and they're all, it's almost like they're, they're characters out there on the field, you know, hitting each other and making tackles and doing all these grand things. But when you get to spend a week with them without the helmets on and the shoulder pads on and the uniforms and the numbers, and they're just college kids um, and, and, you know, young men who are getting ready to, to start their, their, you know, their, their, their lives, you know, as, as, as adults, you know, college educated and so forth. Um, that's really my favorite time uh, of, of part of this job and, and the time of the year because because you get to, to meet so many of these guys and and they have they all have of course different stories they have different backgrounds and and things but you know you just get to sort of see them more as a uh, in the human nature aspect of who they are um, and not just oh that's number whatever six you know who's a great football player 
uh, it's, you know, that's that, that kid, you know, has a lot going for him and he's just a really good person and you get to see that, uh, you know, you know, behind the veil, so to speak. So it's, it's a lot that part. You're, you're right. It's uh, that's really what it's all about. Mike Schultz is our special guest this half hour and Mike, of course, director of communications for the Royal Quest Bowl. And uh, Mike, it's going to be January 2nd this year. Uh, you've, uh, told us a couple of times on the show the reason that that's going to happen, uh, but it's going to be on the second this year. And uh, maybe you talk a little bit about that. And also, uh, I know your tickets go on sale a little bit later on in the early part of next uh, next month. So maybe you'd like to talk about some of the clubs or some of the other uh, events that you have planned and some of the things that uh, people can buy group tickets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they are, the game is January 2nd this year uh, because of the way the calendar falls. Um, we have uh, – our tickets are actually going to go on sale now um, November 21st. So our tickets are going to be on sale through Ticketmaster November 21st. Um, and, uh, uh, but we, are, we do have uh, uh, corporate ticket packages or premium ticket packages available uh, now through directly through the bowl office, and you can get information on those by going to the bowl website at reliequestbowl.com. Um, and we do have a lot of uh, different events and activities around the game. Uh, we have some VIP events uh, that will be coming up um, in, in the next couple months in bowl week. Uh, of course, bowl week, we have a lot of different activities for not only the teams but the fans, um, and uh, some many of which are, are free and open to the public. Um, as well as uh, you know some that are uh, uh, you know part of the game itself, the game day, and and um, you know we take the teams out to Bush Gardens, um, and uh, so you can buy a ticket to Bush Gardens that day and uh, ride roller coasters with the football players, or you know do different activities out there with them and see them out there and get autographs and so forth. Uh, we're going to have them down at Sparkman Wharf uh, one night at Splitsville. Uh, they're going to be down there hanging out one night. Uh, they're, they're going out to Clearwater Beach for a big beach day event um, on December 30th, which is a lot, a lot of fun. We'll have the, the marching bands will be performing out there on the beach along with the cheerleaders. We'll have you know, different contests, cheerleader, tug of war. We have a pie-eating contest. We have uh, all different uh, types of things going on, live music. Um, and it's sort of like a big pepper alley out on the beach. Uh, New Year's Eve, we have our big parade down through Ybor City, which is a, a lot of fun. Uh, high school bands from around the country will be there. The two college bands will be performing. Uh, we'll do a little little pep rally uh, type of thing after at the end of the parade there, right on 7th Avenue. So lots of fun activities uh, for the fans uh, that are here, and as well as the players to be able to participate in while they're here and getting ready for the game. So lots of fun activities. Uh, you know, certainly encourage folks to come out and, and take part in activities and, and go to the game and, and start off your year uh, with a, just a lot of fun and, and a great college football experience. Well, Mike's been at it a long time, Roger. And uh, so director of communications, he keeps us informed of exactly what's going to happen. Uh, always uh, two great teams will play. It's a combination of, of uh, the Big Ten, of course, and we'll have to see how many teams in the Big Ten uh, maybe qualify for the Reliance Quest Bowl. And uh, Michael, keep us on tap of which teams are going to be selected. Roger, you're up. Well, I was just going to say uh, to get to baseball for a minute on MLB Network right now is Game Five of the 1980 World Series. Don, 
You were in the press box, and I was in the stands. Nolan Ryan just pitching against Pete Rose. Boy, does that bring back memories, I'll tell you. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, the uh, Mike, I, th- I think you're right I, I, on that getting back to that Florida-Georgia game. I do not see the dogs uh, beating the uh, uh, beating Florida, the Gators, uh, by that point spread. As Don meant, what is it, 24, 22? 22. I don't see that at all. Yeah, I don't see that at all. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, in, on, on the one hand, I could see it getting there. Uh, but at the same time, I, I also wouldn't be shocked if, the, if there's an upset, upset or if, it's just, if it comes down to a field goal. I mean, like I said, those – those kind of games, those big, big rivalry games like that, when you have two talented teams, you know, uh, you know, Georgia's obviously been much more consistent than the Gators have. But, you know, the Gators, you know, got a lot of good players. And they're going to be, like I said, motivated as much as you could potentially be motivated uh, for a game. And so, uh, you know, I, I think in their minds, you know, you know, you know playing Georgia – and Georgia number one, a chance to knock off Georgia when they're number one, much less the, you know their, their rival. You know they're going to come at it with all all guns blazing, right? So they're they're you know if they got if they if there's any way they can do it, they're going to do it. So I, I just uh, it's one of those games where if I'm a Georgia fan, I would be nervous. I would feel confident that you have a really good team and you should win, but I also feel nervous about that game and make and, and hope that there you know something's screwy doesn't happen, you know, with a weird turnover or, or something of that nature, because, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's not going to be a walk in the park at all. Uh, the, I think they're going to have to fight for everything they get. Well, well Mike, thank you very, very by. much for this segment, as always. And uh, Billy Wardell standing by right now to talk a little baseball and a little football as well. Uh, but, Mike, uh, best of luck, and we look forward to the teams when they're selected. Director of Communications for the Live Quest week, Bowl. Mike. Thank you. Mike, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Billy Wardell. And uh, looking forward to another great weekend of college football. Best time of year. You're going to get it. You're going to get it, Mike. Billy Wardell standing by right now. And, uh, Billy, we did this last time you were on with us. We're going to do it again tonight. Uh, Give the folks uh, around the country that listen to our program and uh, tell them what you – your introduction when you come on here every day and uh, what you do in the Philadelphia area and how people can listen to you uh, away from our show, but in Philadelphia. Thank you, Don. It's WCHE 1520 on the dial, 95.3 on the FM dial, WCHE1520.com, Facebook as well, and you always can follow me on Twitter, the Werndell, W-E-R-N-D-L. Billy Werndell, first of all, terrific. No doubt about it. Yeah, and we'll give everybody a chance at the end, too, because they don't have a pencil and paper in hand, but I'll tell them, get a pencil and paper in hand, and uh, I'll have Billy reiterate that at the end of this segment, and uh, you can write down the uh, the different various places that you can hear him uh, daily. Billy, uh, you were right on target with the St. Louis series. Uh, you were right on target with the San Diego series. You were in San Diego for so many years. Now, uh, Bryce Harper is making that $330 million, and the Phillies, by the surprise of the world. <laughs> yes, they are, Don. But, you know, again, uh, when when you, the playoffs start, the team that's the hottest usually wins. And uh, the Phillies have really been like a, a, a Fourth of July firecracker. 
They've really been playing very good baseball. Their defense has been tightened up. The bullpen has done a good job. But you mentioned Bryce Harper. He's a he's a prime time player, and prime time players come out when the prime time the big lights are on. So I'm, you can't say enough about Harper. I mean, the guy's gonna have Tommy John surgery after the season's over, but this guy has really stepped up big time. Roger, Bill, a couple of things. I want to correct myself. Uh, on MLB Network right now, it's the fifth game of the 1980 LCS. Right. Nolan Ryan, and I said it was the World Series, and it, this was in the Astrodome, obviously. And uh, One of the great games know, of all time, Roger. Oh, it was. It was. But I know the fifth, gra- fifth game of the uh, World Series, uh, uh, as I recall, was in Philadelphia, and I said that you guys were in the press box and I was in the stands, okay, back then. But uh, it, it's really, uh, when you think about that game and Nolan Ryan against the Phillies, and I know Larry Boa was interviewed by uh, Chris Russo about that. Uh, but, Bill, you know, what, does this team compare to 80 in any way in, in, uh, in your mind? Yeah, remember that team in 1980 really got hot down the stretch. And if it wasn't for Mike Schmidt's home run in the 11th inning against Montreal, they'd have been home for the holidays. They'd have been yeah. sitting home watching the playoffs. And that 11th inning home run by Schmidt was really the, the telling blow and helped catapult the Phillies into the postseason. And, of course, the Astros were a very good team back then. And uh, I, I just think that there's a lot of comparisons. A big-time player like Harper and Schmidt. You have a great shortstop in Larry Boa. Uh, now, Bryson Stott is not in that category. Uh, you know, you, you have so many interesting Pete Rose and and uh, Reese Hoskins. I mean, there's a very good catcher in Bob Boone, an outstanding catcher in J.T. Realmuto. I mean, there's a lot of comparisons. And, you know, again, you had Steve Carlton on the mound. Uh, Larry Christensen, Dick Ruthman, people like that. You had Tug McGraw coming out of the bullpen with Ron Reed. I mean, uh, and, the, and the Phillies have Nola and uh, Wheeler. And their bullpen is starting to take shape with Alvarado, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Robertson. Uh, so there's a lot of comparisons there. No, yeah, Marty, I'd, I'd like to ask you to make a little comparison between uh... – what happened in the beginning of the season with Joe Girardi and the fact that they just couldn't quite get the club together, uh, they, weren't, they weren't responding at all, and the job that Robbie Thompson has done since coming in, uh, taking them all the way to the World Series. Uh, you're there every day. We're not. Uh, give us a couple of uh, key points that you think uh, were the ch- change around for the Phillies. Don, I think the key thing was that they were uptight when they were playing for Girardi. And Rob Thompson made a very comfortable, a loose atmosphere in the locker room. I'm not saying there was, wasn't discipline, but they weren't uptight, you know, and, and I think that goes a long, long way. Uh, players feed off a manager who's confident, but not, you know, so, so uh, over the top as far as, you know, trying to dictate every move. I think Rob Thompson is, is a great, great manager in that regard. Because it le- he lets the game come to the players. He's not trying to nitpick every play. He realizes mistakes going to be made. But he's a very easygoing guy, and he doesn't get flustered. Well, I think Girardi gets flustered. 
I think a number of times he would not give the young like Stott. Stott has been a really a really uh, saving grace for this team. Played he a has. very good defensive shortstop, and he started a hit. Girardi didn't give the confidence to young guys. He wanted to go with D.D. Gregorius, who played for him in, in New York, and Gregorius was done. He was a, mm-hmm. a player that couldn't do it anymore. And you have to realize, hey, if a guy can't do it anymore, you have to plug in another younger player. Roger. Whether you like him or not, okay? You're exactly yeah. right. And, 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 hey, listen, we used to see that in other sports. I, the comparison, George Allen, you know, he just would get rid of all the draft picks to play uh, older players. But you're right, Bill. And Nick Maton, uh, you know what? There was a, a couple of games when the infield Maton, was yeah. all homegrown, you know, and that says yeah. a lot. Well, that, that's the key. I mean, you can only plug in so many free agents, Roger. You have to depend on your farm system. Reese Hoskins is a product of the farm system. Uh, Stott is a, a product of the farm system. Boehm is a product of the farm system. That is so important. NOLA is a product of their farm system. Dominguez a product. You have to develop your talent from within. You can fill in certain spots with free agents, but you can't be overloaded with free agents. Absolutely. One thing, too, Billy Hoskins, you mentioned him. Hoskins has, uh, what, 30 home runs on the season and has had a, a marvelous playoff so far. Uh, he's still a little bit of a liability at first base, uh, but he's been a able to overcome that. A big that. liability. Right. He's been able, he's been able to come, overcome some very big blunders at first base by hitting the ball very effectively. He certainly has. And, you know, he's the, the, uh, the essence of a streak hitter. When he's on a, in a groove, nobody can get him out. When he's in that, that funk, everybody can get him out. Mm. You and the Roger can get him out when, when he's in that <laughs> funk. But, uh, he, he, you know, he's right in the groove right now. The one thing that bothers me about the World Series, why five days off between the clinching game for both Philadelphia and Houston? The series should have started no later than tonight. That's five days this team's going to have off. Yeah. Well, what happens, Billy, you know as well as I do, it's money. This, the commercials have already been sold. They're sold for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, off day Monday, then Tuesday, Wednesday, off day, then Thursday, Friday. Uh, that, they can't adjust that because that's the way the, the financial schedule has been set up for the World Series, and they, you can't touch it. It's already set. They can't move it. It's unfortunate, really. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right, but it can't happen. That, that's the unfortunate well, well, part you know, about again, it. Again, when, when you're a team that's hot like the Phillies and playing at a, a, a torrid pace, you want to play almost every day. And to shut right. them down for five days, it's going to be tough. It benefits the pitchers to a certain extent, but hitters are in a groove. You know, take five days off, that's pretty difficult. Well, you know, it's just like the bye uh, in the NFL, Bill. Like the Eagles had the bye, and they're 6-0. and Okay? Right. And uh, now they're going to face the Bengals wet at home. But the, 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 the thing Steelers, I, I, not the I Bengals, mean the Steelers. The Steelers, the Steelers yeah. And, uh, and, the, and the Steelers are having a down year, but anything can happen. And when you have that bye, Andy Reid had great results after the bye. But not every coach has great results like Andy did. 
the, the Eagles are fortunate that they have the uh, the Steelers. Uh, another more difficult matchup. I think it's a little bit more difficult to come back to buy because again, you're in a groove. You're, you're, yeah. Your body is is working at a certain pace, and uh, knowing every Wednesday you got practice, Thursday practice, Friday, then a walkthrough on Saturday, and then a game. But when you have a bye, it takes you a little while to get up to speed again. What did you think about Nola uh, pitching the first game uh, on Friday night? I don't have a problem with that. I, I think Nola and Wheeler have been very, very effective. I mean, look, they could have picked Wheeler because he pitched on Sunday. But, again, you know, give him an extra day's rest. I don't have a problem with that. He is an outstanding – Nola has really stepped up big time in the postseason. Had that one blip, but he has pitched very effectively. I agree. Yeah, Billy, one, I of the things, one of the things no, I, I've, been, I've been happy with is because they agree with me, <laughs> and that is as you watch the postgame show with the big hurt and uh, uh, whoever is on the panel there. Hey, uh, yeah, Burkhart. the whole group. Every one of them, every one of them, forget, you know, Burkhart's done a nice job anchoring it, but every one of them has talked about throw the, throw these, all these rules that you play by during the regular season. Analytics don't mean boons when you're playing in the playoffs. And that, that's because you and I have talked about it and talked about it and talked about it, and they keep saying, forget the analytics. Play the game the way it's supposed to be played and go from there. And it certainly has worked out. in the postseason, runs are at a premium many, many right. times. So you right. see the three top pitchers, maybe a fourth, but normally only three of the top pitchers, all right? So you got to hit and run. you got to steal bases. Put the ball in play. Look, the Yankees struck out close to 50 times in a four-game series, mm. and the Astros won going away. You can't and Schwarber steal a second and third base. That's the way you win games. That's and the right. way you win championships. <laughs> but by playing a little small ball. I know you you, you want to use the home run, but you have to put the other team on their heels. I mean, bunt the ball. If they're in the, a shift for a, a left-handed hitter, everybody on the right side of the diamond, drop the ball down the third baseline. Make them think. Make the opposing team think we're not playing around. Roger? I, I can't agree with you more, Bill. I love small ball. And Don and I have talked about it many times with uh, about Rich Giolella, Brian Giolella, Rick Freeman at uh, Don Hamilton Post, right, 31, in American Legion. And, and as many games as I did, and it was small ball. That one, it's so much fun to watch baseball as we grew up with. Well, that's the way the game's supposed to be played. I mean, all these people from Dartmouth and MIT and Penn think this is the best way the game should be played. Are you kidding me? Tell me what a strikeout does. Tell me what a strikeout does. It means the, the batter is walking back to the dugout. When you put the ball in play, the fielder can bobble the ball, a bad throw. A lot of things can happen <laughs> when you put the ball in play. When you don't put the ball in play, you're in big, big trouble. Billy, as we talked on your program last week, and, and uh, we, we danced around with it a lot, the Yankees in the first game, 
They struck out 17 times. They only had a chance to put the ball in play 10 times in the whole game. Now, you can't win a game. I don't care whether you're the 29 A's. You can't win a game if, you, if you're already going to get 10 at-bats and the other team's going to get 27. You're right, you see. And the Astros in that game, when the Yankees struck out 17 times, the Astros struck out two times. That's yeah, exactly there you go. Right. Yeah. And that tells the story. You know, and, and even though uh, you know, as you're watching the game, you say to yourself, how can you put together a, a, a legitimate rally when you don't have anybody on base? Nobody. You can't. Ten, 17 times you're striking out. You can't score from the dugout, Don. No. Roger? You know, get, you know, getting back to the uh, crowd effect uh, at Citizens Bank Park, but uh, Schmoltz made a, a, a very interesting point about that. He said that the loudest crowd he ever played in front of was that 93 uh, game, you know, uh, against the Phillies. I guess that was in the playoffs, right? Because they didn't mm-hmm. have divisions in those days. And, and, he, and, of course, that was at the vet. And what did that was that uh, sixty thousand for baseball? Yep, or more. Yeah, so uh, you know, yeah, a lot different than when you're playing before forty thousand today. You know, in the uh, the newer ballparks. But that's what he said uh, during one of the games. That was the loudest crowd he ever heard in his life. If you ever if you recall when Bert Hoot was was booed off the mound in the Dodgers yeah. series in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the fans get ramped up at, at whether it's Veterans Stadium, Citizens Bank Park, they get ramped up for the playoffs. One thing that has uh, got a lot of criticism uh, as far as the broadcasts are concerned, uh, yeah, I, I I disagree in some cases. I think John Schmoltz does an excellent job of anticipating the pitches that he like to see thrown. As an example. Uh, he'll get he'll get a, a, a batter like Harper at the plate, and he'll say, "Okay, now, what, what's your thinking here? What are you where are you going to throw that first pitch?" The only the only difficulty I have with him is the majority of the pitchers can't do what he could, you know. And yeah, he said, "Well, your sec your second pitch has to be been out." Well, a lot of these pitchers can't execute that. You can't criticize him for saying this is the way you should pitch him. But unfortunately, they don't have the talent to do that. Don, you know why? Because they're not taught at, in, in the minor league level. It's right. throw as hard as you can for as long as you can. Pitchers are not pitchers today. They are throwers. And Five minutes. A, a lot of pit, if you watch Nola, he's a pitcher. Wheeler is a pitcher. I don't need the guy to throw 100 miles an hour. Just Move the ball around, in and out, up and down. And make the hitter hit the ball, all right? You know, strikeouts are great, but make the guy take your pitch, not his pitch. Roger? Bill, you know you know what I was really happy on, about on Sunday? I mean, the win, and I mentioned earlier uh, that uh, Dan Baker's getting to do another World Series, you know, during his uh, 50th anniversary year. But I really was loved the way Ranger uh, Suarez came in. Give me the ball, okay? He was, I mean, that, that guy was ready. He wanted to get into that game. And, no and, question uh, about it, uh, Roger. You ahead. want a guy like that. He yes. wanted to 
And you know what? You throw out all the statistics. You, as a manager, you go on gut. Ranger Suarez put him in the game. Now, Bob Melvin stubbed his toe by not, not bringing Josh Hader in to face Harper. That's that might right. have been a different story. Absolute stupidity. Yeah. Billy, and, Billy two things. Two things. One, quickly, give me the uh, number of games and the winner in the World Series first. All right. I'm going to say the number of games will be six, and the Phillies will prevail. And I just have a funny feeling about this team. Everybody says yeah. the Astros, the Astros, the Astros. Uh, I, it's always the team that has that karma and they have the willingness to take the extra step. I just think I've seen enough of the Phillies that they will take that extra step. They'll do whatever it takes to win a game. Last but not least, you started off the program. Give us uh, people out there pencil and paper ready now. Give us your normal entree that you come on every single day and let everybody listen to you all around the country. WCHE fifteen twenty on the dial, ninety five three on the FM dial, WCHE fifteen twenty dot com, Facebook as well, and you always can follow me on Twitter, the Werndell, W E R N D L. Bill, as always, thank you very, very much. We'll get together. Uh, when this World Series comes to an end, we'll get together again, and we have a chance to kick it around. Always the, the best guest in the world. Thank you, Billy. Don, I, I'm sorry I was a little late. I, I, I took a little snooze, to be honest with you. I had my phone <laughs> next to me, and I, I said, damn it, Don Henderson's going to be really mad at me. So I apologize. <laughs> hey, Billy, you're hey, the Bill, man. Before you, go, before you go, two things, okay? Number one, how about the uh, fans setting an all-time record and buying Philly's paraphernalia, an all-time Major League re- uh, Baseball record after uh, – the uh, win of the uh, playoffs, number one. And in this game from 1980, I had forgotten Greg Lusinski used to wear glasses. That shows how yeah. old the, the mind goes. <laughs> well, you know, it's amazing, you know, all that paraphernalia. Of course, these teams today make a lot of money on their uh, memorabilia, whether it's hats, shirts, uh, spikes, what it may be. I mean, this is another uh, revenue stream that many, many years ago wasn't utilized as it is today. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Well, take Billy, care, Bill. Thanks so much, Thank Bill. You. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Tom. Absolutely. And Roger, appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank take you. Take care. Mike Zibzak ready to go now. And I'll tell you what, we're going to start off, uh, usually we talk about, you know, <laughs> Washington football or Washington hockey or Washington something. But uh, Mike's bailiwick is really soccer. Ben Soccer, ever since he's been on the show for so many years. Let's start off in that uh, department and say uh, NYCFC tops Montreal to advance to the East Finals. Give us a little rundown of how the, how the, how the soccer is going in MLS. Well, first and foremost, Roger, I think we found a Phillies manager you don't want to fire. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> this is the first manager that I think in the time I've been on the show that Roger hasn't been ready to fire. Yeah, but Kabler and Klentak, they put the team back five years. Okay? So 
you know, but we've recovered. Let's put it that way. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute now. You said that about Howie last year with the Eagles, and now look where they are, undefeated. Oh, I told you. He went from a bum in the park to the king of the mountain. There you are. Everybody loves Howie now. And Realamuto went from from being run out of Philadelphia to yeah, we right. gotta we gotta qualify these remarks. <laughs> <laughs> but we finally, this is the first manager that the time that I've been here that that Roger's not ready to fire. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, uh, NYCFC uh, over Montreal sets up a rematch of last year at Subaru Park this Sunday. The Philadelphia Union versus NYCFC for the ability to play in the MLS Cup Finals. Um, right. We, Roger, uh, Don, we went through it last year with the COVID and the eight uh, first-team players from the Philadelphia Union who were out, Andre Blake, Alejandro Bedoya, um, the fact that they were missing those players and they still managed to keep it to a two-to-one game and were in it for most of that time and competitive. I think this is what the Philadelphia Union, Jim Curtin, that team won. They want a chance to go out and beat this team, the defending MLS Cup champs, to let them know, like, yeah, you got one over on us, but you got depleted one over on us last year. We deserve that. And... Uh, I think it's going to be a 3-1 Union win, and they're headed to the first MLS Cup final in uh, in Union history. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. On the other side, it is Austin FC versus LAFC. If LAFC wins and the Union win, well, if LAFC wins, no matter who wins, the finals in L.A. If LAFC loses and the Union win, it's at Subaru Park. I actually think that on that one, I watched Austin FC beat LAFC 3 nothing in uh, early September. I think that one's a 2-2 game. Uh, Austin FC wins 6-5 on penalties. It's Austin FC and the Philadelphia Union at Subaru Park in the MLS Cup Finals. And it's a pick them from there. Roger? Well, I was going to say, uh, staying with the Union, Mike, uh, kudos to them. Uh, they uh, honored the Phillies before the game the uh, the other night. And uh, the uh, the Sixers... Uh, had uh, after the win, the, the Sixers had their former owner ring the bell mm-hmm. or, or hit the uh, gong, whatever. And, you know, nothing about the Phillies. And yet the union, they got a lot of good PR because of uh, what they did. But I'm with you. I think it was just like the, there were a lot of the old-time Phillies fans like us that uh, – said, okay, this is uh, to get back for, you know, when they took the game, uh, what was that, uh, in 11, 11 years ago, uh, you know, when uh, Ryan Howard got towards ACL and Roy Holiday lost one to nothing in that game. 
uh, with the Cardinals. So it was payback to the Cardinals. But um, I, I think the Union are on a path uh, to uh, uh, win and to uh, win the championship. It'll be the first uh, major silverware that they have won, and they deserve it. They have been, for my money, the best team in MLS all year. Uh, so please tune in on Sunday. Watch this. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. I think it's really going to be. And look, me saying that the Union are going to score three goals, um, their MO is to win a playoff game one nothing. So scoring multiple goals for them would be a come off. I just think that that's where they're headed, and uh, we're going to see uh, we're going to see the Union in the championship series at the same time we see the Phillies in the championship series. And oh, let's not forget the Eagles are still unbeaten and just added Robert Quinn. Yeah, correct. Correct. It's a heavy time to be a Philadelphia sports fan, gentlemen. And the Flyers uh-huh. are coming out of the gate with speed as well. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is just about as good as it gets. It's about like well, the old days in Philadelphia, Roger, when we were there every night and every team had a chance to win. The only team that's gotten off to a poor start are the 76ers. Uh, they just can't get out of their own way to start the season. But uh, the Flyers have gotten out of the gate well. The Eagles are doing exceptionally well, as you said, in soccer. And uh, just up and down the line, Philadelphia right now is in a great position. And the Phillies are in the World Series. Can't do much better than that for the city. No, and it was like the old days. Like if you you might go to an Eagles game, and then uh, you'd go walk over and then uh, see the Flyers at night or the Sixers at night. And, exactly. Uh, you know, just uh, the best of times. Uh, the uh, in Philadelphia. Oh, that's so, what gears now for a minute. We start on soccer, Mike. What about? Uh, what about Washington's football team? Uh, all of a sudden, they've come out of the woodwork a little bit. So, before we get there, you know, after this weekend, I saw something I needed for my classroom. So, I got a new doormat. It says, wipe your feet when you enter this joint. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, you have to send me that, Mike. You know, I like to take that into school with me. <laughs> Uh, I when, when, when DC the gift that keeps on giving. Um, yeah, a game, a win over Chicago and a win over Green Bay. You know, with Taylor Heineke playing, I think the win, the, the, the Commanders' win over Green Bay says a lot more about where Green Bay is right now. When you see Aaron Rodgers coming off the field and asking, what are we doing? Um, I, I think it speaks more to where the Packers are right now. But let's not de- discount the fact that the Commanders have a defense that's playing much better. Um, they've sorted out some issues in the secondary. Uh, Jim and Davis, the much maligned Linebacker is playing more outside and playing with a lot more freedom to attack. Uh, the front seven uh, it, it has been a little bit more effective. Uh, when you had Taylor Heineke in, he gave what I thought that he would. Uh, he's, his escapability, 
his familiarity with the offense, his familiarity with the receivers enabled him to make some plays. I'm not 100% sure that Carson Wentz could have made, right? For better or worse, he doesn't have the arm strength. And certainly some of those throws were but ugly. But when he made that throw to Terry McLaurin at the end for the touchdown, Terry knew what it was going to be because he played with him for 15 games last year. He was able to read the situation, come back, get it, and make the play. Now, will this hold up? I don't know. But they've managed to win two games, and that's two games more than they won through the first couple of games, first however many weeks of the season. Roger? Well, yeah, and they looked uh, like a different uh, team, and the way they were able to hold up at the end impressed me. You know, because I got to watch the uh, latter, well, I guess what the latter uh, five eight minutes of the game, and uh, I I I was thought that they might uh, break, but they didn't. Mike, they held up when they needed to. And I got to give Scott Turner credit, right? When he has, remember they they had the um, kind of pseudo extended bye week because they played on Thursday. Yeah, um, he's a guy who can use the extra time that he has, and he uses it well. He was able to figure out ways to get uh, the ball to Antonio Gibson in space. He was able to figure out how to get uh, Curtis Samuel the ball in unique situations. It actually gives me a little bit of pause because, you know, the commanders are going to come off of a bye week and then play the Philadelphia Eagles on a Monday, which means mm-hmm. that Turner's going to have that extra time to plan. And what we have seen over the course of this season, when he has had that extra time to plan, he's used it and he's used it well. So I hope the Eagles brass is watching this game against the Packers because I think you're going to see a lot more of those sets and those actions when they play them on Monday night than than you would have when you saw them a couple, uh, a month ago when we played on Sunday. I think you hit the nail on the head. That one pass along the left sideline uh, where the receiver came back a little bit, made the catch, and, and uh, I think that was the reversal of the game. I mean, there were a lot of key points in the game, as Roger pointed out. But I thought that was one of the really key points in the game because it kept the drive going and took them down for a touchdown. Think about this. The Packers did not have – a pass play that traveled more than 10 yards downfield until the second half. Rodgers was not having that kind of a day. <laughs> no, 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 I'll say. And the, 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 the commanders weren't doing anything exotic in defense. They were rushing. They did not blitz like they normally – they don't blitz. They did not blitz. They were not disguising their coverages. They were just dropping players back. Uh, Packers just did not feel like they could contend with the stunts and the line adjustments when you had to deal with Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, and Montez Sweat. And I'm not going to lie, those are three good guys. But, I mean, that's not the same as what the birds have now with you know, all the guys that they have that can bring pressure. So it's going to be real interesting when the Eagles play them 
It's also going to be very interesting when the Eagles play the Commanders uh, in a couple of weeks. I, I just think that they still have the defensive capability to get by them and enough on offense to uh, really give them problems. Roger? Yeah, the, uh, uh, well, only time will tell. They, you know, they play the Steelers, uh, the Eagles do, uh, this Sunday. And the Steelers, uh, they're not having a, uh, a normal Steelers uh, season. But anything can happen, especially uh, when you come off a bye. Like I mentioned earlier, Andy Reid uh, had great record uh, uh, after the bye. But uh, other coaches haven't had such really uh, great records. And uh, it'll be interesting. Hopefully that they're intact, that uh, the injuries have uh, uh, nurse themselves uh, to a better uh, situation, and uh, you know we'll know. We'll know on Sunday. Who do the Commanders play on Sunday? Uh, this they week, have Mike? the Indianapolis Colts up in Indy, where uh, Sam Erlinger will be making his first competitive start. Uh, before I talk about that one, pay attention, gentlemen, to the fact that the uh, Eagles play Sunday, Thursday, and Monday over the next yeah. two weeks. Um, so as far as the commanders playing, they're going up to Indy. Uh, it, it was supposed to be Carson Wentz triumphant return to Indianapolis, but he's on the shelf. Uh, the Indianapolis culture starts an early game who hasn't started an NFL game. Uh, for first time in a long time, this one feels actually like one that the commanders should win, um, not can try to win. Roger? Yeah, the, uh, they should, but uh, you, you just don't know. I mean, you know, anything can happen because we're seeing some really bad play. Hey, Tom Brady said there's a lot of bad football being played. Hey, guess what? With your own team, okay? And, uh, and, uh, and there's other teams too, but uh, the Steelers, like I said, uh, not doing well and uh, a number of teams. I mean, the uh, the Browns have had a lot of trouble this year, you know, where we thought big things of them. The Browns, the Panthers, um, just, a, just a lot of teams are not playing up to what we thought they were going to be. And then no there question. Are like the Bears that we didn't think were going to be any good. Um, the Texans, nobody expected anything of them. So, yeah, there is some bad football being played. What do you think about tomorrow night? We've got the, we got the hometown team here. As we look at Rodgers, uh, or Brady, I mean, uh, you know, take on the Ravens, and uh, so we know how much Harbaugh likes to win. It's going to be quite a game because right now you've got to say the Bucks have to win or they're going to be in, in dire shape of not really looking at going to the playoffs. I don't really know what's going on with the Bucks, and I have been thinking that they were going to get a response for multiple weeks, and they haven't been able to get it. The one thing I do know is um, the Bucks have struggled on defense, and they're about to go up against the quarterback and put pressure on a defense like you don't believe in Lamar Jackson. Uh, and they're going up in there to play with a number 
I think the Bucks are down at least four starters on defense. Uh, playing against Lamar Jackson in that Ravens offense. I don't think it gets any better for the Bucks tomorrow night. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it to the Ravens. I just think that they have, you know, they, they showed last weekend that they can pull one out. They needed that. Uh, the defense is getting some life back. The Bucks offense has become a little bit too predictable. And I think Lamar Jackson needs this primetime game to show why he is as valuable as he is. He's going to show out. Uh, I'm going 31-14 uh, Ravens. Ooh, Roger. Wow, that's some score. That, yeah, that I, is just, a, I, I, I just think the Ravens are going to show off a little bit tomorrow. Um, you know, when the lights are on, Lamar likes to perform. Well, and the and the uh, Packers defense hasn't been uh, as good as we've seen in the past either, Mike. Mhm. But that is that. I'll tell you that would really send a message, like Don said, if uh, if the if the the if they lose, I mean, if the Bucks uh, lose, I mean, that, that's what I w- I meant to say, Bucks about defense, because uh, we when we talk with Roy Cummings about it they uh, they are not really performing up to their uh, capability and uh the I wonder I'll tell you Don I meant to say this earlier what do you think uh, do you think Todd Bowles has everything under control with the Bucks well see that was my point last week uh as I said uh, during the course of our program that uh, I could not understand uh you know I, I, you know, I guess Brady can just do whatever he wants to. But if you're the you're the coach of the team and the guy's going to leave a, to go to New York to Kraft's wedding, and he's going to come into Pittsburgh in the morning, and then he's going to play a game. I mean, I think a lot of things have happened under Todd Bowles that I really didn't expect to happen. Uh, I, I just uh, I just thought that he'd be much more, uh, you know, in command of what's going on, and it doesn't look like uh, that's what. And, and I'm a little surprised because. You know, this is opportunity to step in and take over a team that's really an effective football team and take them into the playoffs. And if you're going to be a head football coach and you're going to get a job somewhere else, uh, he got the job with the Jets. He took them into the first year when he took the previous coach's talent, took them into the playoffs, and then completely died. Now he's come into a good team in in, uh, uh, Tampa, and, uh, you know, he just isn't doing the job. And, uh, you know, I just wonder how long they're going to be able to go along with this. But I think That's what I was wondering. Roger, I think you've got a situation in both Green Bay and Tampa where whoever was coach was given a poison chalice. You've got these two quarterbacks who are the franchise, not the franchise player, but in a lot of ways just the franchise. And they know it. When you look at Tom Brady's actions and Aaron Rodgers' quotes, there's almost no way that you can be the coach and deal with no him. More. No more. You know, they, there's nothing you can do except hope to contain it, 
focus it and that you can be a little bit successful. You know, right. I, I don't know how you tell Tom Brady, no, you can't go up to New York to Robert Kraft. If he says because he has – he can just go over your head. He's got the era ownership, and he knows that. You hear um, Aaron Rodgers talk about, oh, well, I talked to the GM. We're going to make moves. Uh, I know if these players don't play right, they're going to get time. How do you check him and say, no, you can't do that? Mike, your, your, future, your future is at stake. You know, you're, you're, this is going to be the last shot for him to be a head coach of the National Football League. If this I, team I, folds, he's going I to be wish, out. I, I wonder if either Mike McCarthy or Todd Bowles are empowered to sit either one of them down. And in a 17-game season, can you afford to sit Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers down and prove a point? No, I don't necessarily think you have to set them down, but you got to set a set of rules. I mean, you can't just have them wandering away for eight days or nine days or, or, or not make them a Wednesday practice or not doing this and then going to a wedding. I mean, you're the coach. You, you, this is your team. This is your only chance to survive in the National Football League. You're going to come back. You're going to come back as a defensive coordinator, sure, somewhere, but you're not going to be a head coach if this team dies. But what if what if Tom Brady said, like, I'm going up to this wedding? Todd Bowles says, no, I need you to be here. He goes to ownership and says, I'm going up here. I'm going to do this. Ownership says, you're going to let him go. Like, I really think in a, a little bit of this is that ownership or management has emasculated the coaches and not given them the wherewithal to say, like, no, you guys, you two cannot do this. Well, Mike, we don't know that. We're, we're speculating. I'm agreeing with you. I think they should have the power to do whatever they, whatever they think is necessary to make this team more competitive. And if, it, if that's the, the case, they've got to say to Brady, you can't go, you know, uh, then you've got to do it. But uh, an ownership has to agree with it. You hired this guy to be the head coach. You want him to win. You want him to win. He can't win if, the, if there's no continuity on the team. The story with the Bucks was written in preseason when he left for those two weeks during the preseason to go to attend the personal business. And at that point, it was established that Tom Brady could come and go as he wanted to. And at that point, I feel like any authority that Todd Bowles had to make changes, to do what he needed to do, was gone. Well, we'll leave it right there till next week, Mike, and we'll have a chance to talk about it because it's tomorrow night's game. And, uh, you know, if the Bucks go down to the Ravens tomorrow night and don't play any better than they did last, last week against Carolina, uh, you know, something's going to hit the fan. I mean, it has to. I mean, they, they can't just let it go. But thank you very much. We're, we'll move into next week. And, Mike, thanks. And let's see what happens with the uh, MLS and see whether it's Philadelphia can get that championship. Go All right, I'll be back. Now. I'm either going to be right or wrong when I talk to you next week. Take care, John. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay. take care, week. Mike. Take care. All right, we switch gears. Doug Hamilton, our resident PGA pro who uh, talks baseball, football, and uh, golf. And uh, as I said, tomorrow night's a game between the Bucks and Mr. Jackson and the Ravens. Yeah. And uh, Doug Hamilton. 
uh, your prognostication. <laughs> well, I'm certainly going to be in attendance. Uh, you know, there's nothing better than uh, watching the Ravens in prime time, but I tell you, it's a, it's a short week for them. That always uh, makes it tough. I think that uh, last year this time uh, the Ravens were – uh, beaten pretty badly by the Miami Dolphins in a short short turnaround, and um, you know I think that that kind of earmarked uh, a portion of their season that that started a slide there. So, um, you know Tampa Bay hasn't looked real good uh, this season. I think that Tom Brady has some distractions and has uh, not looked like the Tom Brady that we expect. I think that um, you know they have some injuries. The Ravens have some injuries. I think. Um, you know, if, if the Ravens can start fast, I think that uh, last week was, was pretty big for them to get Gus Edwards back and get him into the fold of running the football. I think that um, hopefully that Mark Andrews and, and uh, Bateman and some of those guys that are a little nicked up can play and, and uh, make a difference here. I think that, you know, the Ravens held on to a lead in the second half, which hasn't happened uh, quite as much this year as, as I would have hoped, but um, you know, Lamar is such a dynamic player. I think that uh, Tampa Bay has their hands full trying to stop him, and I think that if the Ravens can get back to their identity of running the football and, and uh, moving the chains and, and throwing intermediate passes to Mark Andrews um, with a couple splash plays in there, I, I think they'll, they'll be just fine. So, you know, I look for the Ravens to go on the road here and, and win one in Tampa Bay. Roger? Well, it'll be interesting. We talked about uh, Doug, the uh, the Bucks' uh, lack of discipline and uh, and everything else. And uh, obviously, they flew up uh, today, right? The Ravens uh, home tomorrow, and uh, so they had a short week too. When you think about it, and, yeah. and uh, everybody, does. I I hate Thursday night football. I really do. I don't think it's fair to the players uh, no. for their. Uh, their health and they talk about concussions and everything else, but it's all uh, owners making uh, money. But um, the, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I hope the, the Ravens win. Uh, and Don and uh, Mike, we were talking about, uh, uh, you know, the lack of discipline on the team and Todd Bowles, uh, does he have it under control or, uh, you know, maybe the ownership uh, says, "Hey, you're going to do it this way," and uh, and he has to uh, go along with it. You know, yeah. I don't well, know. I I think the qu- the question I think maybe I mentioned this last week or week before at some point in time. You know, when you have a guy like Bruce Arians as your head coach, who's kind of a no BS kind of guy, you know, is you know, would this season look differently? Would Tom Brady have, you know, acted with some of the antics that he has in terms of missing time in, in the preseason as well as going to the wedding? Um, you know, I don't know. How, how much, you know, of the reins does Todd Bowles actually have? Um, you know, is Tom Brady uh, becoming mortal with regard to his abilities and his age um, is the all field stuff and distractions, um, you know, obviously playing a part in that. So, I mean, you, you can't look at the Tampa Bay team and think that they don't have enough talent. I mean, their defense is, is a very good defense. They have, you know, multiple options in terms of receivers and 
uh, people to throw to. Um, you know, so it, it begs the question, I mean, is this an internal or is this an on-the-field execution? I mean, is it or a combination of both? You know, and if you flip that script and you look at the Ravens, I mean, gosh, they, they, they came out in several of their games and just like the Buffalo Bills are a very good football team and the Baltimore Ravens had their way with them, um, you know, and then they didn't in the second half. So, you know, you, you can look at both sides of that coin and – terms of Harbaugh and, and, you know, um, a first-year defensive coordinator and, 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 you know, some of the things that he's trying to to do on defense and, um, you know, just getting that script right in terms of being able to put four quarters together and win a football game. Um, So it'll be an interesting game. Yeah. Doug, the only break that the Tampa Bay has right now, we talked about it in the first half hours, nobody is really winning. I mean, everybody's under 500. And uh, so the, even though the even though the Bucks have played terrible football for the most part and lost the teams they never should have lost to, like Pittsburgh and then of course last week with the Ravens who are with the uh, uh, Carolina when uh, they were in total disarray coming in, it's just giving up the best player they had to San Francisco and they go yeah. in and they lay an egg like that. I mean. They can't do that again. In my view, this is my view. They, I don't think they can do it again. If they go in there tomorrow night and they play the Ravens tomorrow night and they take, they lay another egg, I'll tell you, I think they're in trouble. Well, they could be, but I tell you that, you know, Don, I've mentioned in, in weeks past, there's a lot of parity in the NFL, and I don't necessarily think that there's any one particular football team that's separated themselves from the pack. And you know, the yeah, but you got to win at home. They haven't won at home. They're, 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 the, the easiest way to, to get into the playoffs is to win your division. So let's start there. You know, and you look at a team like the Ravens who, you know, this year, you you know, you've, you've already beaten Cincinnati. You've already beaten Cleveland, you know, so you, you've got kind of a leg up on any kind of tiebreaker. So, um, you know, at, at what, four and three, they're, they're atop their division. I mean, is, can we say that they should be, you know, six and one if they don't blow leads or could they be seven and oh, could they be whatever? Yes. But, you know, as long as you can win your division, it doesn't matter whether you're eight and nine. You know, you still get a chance and an invitation to the playoffs. So um, that that's a great place to start. I mean, you look at Tampa Bay and, and their division. I mean, you know, who do you got? You know, um, you know, Atlanta is not a stalwart. Atlanta, Carolina is not a stalwart. So I mean, all you have to do is is win your division. I mean, can you do that in sloppy fashion? It's you know not pretty, but yeah, sure. I mean. What does that translate to? I mean, I don't know. I mean, all you have to do is get into the dance and then see what happens when it comes to momentum at that point. I mean, maybe they find their their gear at a later date. You know, maybe, you know, for some of these teams, maybe a bye week is what they need, or in this particular case, a mini bye week, so now they get 10 days to get themselves together. So, you know, it's still a young season. There's still time left. Roger? Well, yeah, but uh... – you know, the time marches on quickly in the yep. NFL. And, you know, you know what it stands for, not for long. So, right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell You're you. not at the top of the heat for long. Roger, how about, how about your uh, Philadelphia Eagles picking up uh, Robert Quinn today? That was a pretty we, solid move for them. To... Hey, we talked about that. And you yeah. know what else, Doug? If, if, you know, they have the uh, – First, uh, the uh, Saints' first pick in the draft, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if that was today, they would have the fourth pick in the draft. Mm. 
Well, I'll tell you, they're, they're certainly trending upwards because i got to tell you, you know, the Eagles, I think we talked about this, Roger, before, but the Eagles, um, they took, uh, what, uh, N'Kobe Dean and uh, Jordan Davis last year from Georgia. Yeah, right. And yeah. Neither, neither one of them really play a significant role uh, in terms of their defense. Their defense is already good. Uh, so, you know, you add the fourth overall pick and, and, and whatever else they get, um, my gosh, that's that's a formidable, you know, defense. And I think the trade deadline in the NFL is November first. You know, quickly approaching yeah, that. that. There's, yeah. yeah, there's there's likely some more players to, uh, um, you know, probably move. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, if you're a team like the Baltimore Ravens, do you think that there's someone out there that you can get that can help, you know, add some pass pass rush or um, you know, I don't know what what else they could possibly need. Um, their receiving core is a little weak, but um, but well, Doug, what we talked it, about it earlier in the show is the fact that they've made these moves before the trading deadline. Like I just pick up today, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a major in my mind is a major move for the Philadelphia Eagles, and we're not even to the trading deadline. They're not waiting to no. you know go up against the clock before they make some moves. They've sure. done it. The the sure. uh, Jets have done exactly the same thing, bringing Robinson in uh, when they lost Hall, who had was hands down the rookie of the year going into the last week's game, and, and uh, yeah. they lose him for the season. But they immediately yeah. make a move and get another running back in right away. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, you, you've got good momentum. You know, the Jets haven't uh, been very good in recent times, and all of a sudden they find themselves five and two and want to keep that momentum. I mean, the Eagles are. Um, a really good football team right now on both sides of the wall and uh, made a decision to go out and, and uh, you know, get some pass rush. I mean, there's, you know, Christian McCaffrey going to San Francisco is a bit ridiculous in terms of um, how good of a player he is and how he's going to fit into that system. Um, you know, do you have, uh, you know, uh, there have been other people, I think, what was it, uh, uh, Elijah Moore from the from the Jets who was clamoring for a trade. You had um, Roquan Smith from the Bears, who early in the season had some issues, you know, and obviously now you look at that and say, you know, they've, they've discarded, you know, Robert uh, Quinn, uh, you know, wh- where are they going and do I want to stay here and, and, you know, can I get out and what can I get for him? Um, you know, the Broncos are talking about uh, Bradley Chubb uh, possibly being somebody who they're going to get a boatload of draft picks for. Um you know, there's there's a lot of different options out there. You start looking at some of the bottom dwellers um, in terms of you know where they've been teams that are two and five, three and four that may not have a chance to move forward in terms of um, winning football games. Um, you know, how, what do you look at the Detroit Lions and guys like DeAndre Swift and St. Brown, the wide receiver, and Hawkinson, the tight end, and guys like that. I, I mean, can't believe I can't believe that Detroit has, has been playing as badly as they are. They got some talent. I can't believe Jared that they've Goff, got. Jared Goff really? last week was beyond awful. I mean, he, he just oh, he was terrible. Right. So I mean, and, yes. I, and I like the coach. You know, I really do. I thought he was going to really get well, them turned around. I mean, look at the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers have had a, a long history of winning football games, and this year they've not really done that. I mean, are the Green Bay Packers going to go out and get something that they need for their for – their, I mean, they need a wide receiver pretty bad um, or, or a serviceable tight end that can catch passes. Um, 
you know, who's available? Are they willing to go get somebody and, and turn this thing around? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I always like trade deadlines. It's fun to see. Well, there's going to be a lot of pressure on teams to, to make a move that really strengthen because, as you said, and we've talked about it all really all during the course of the, the season, the early going here about the parity. Mm-hmm. And par- mm-hmm. parity is whether, you know, Tom Brady is right or whether he's wrong and it's just bad football or whether there really is parity. Uh, I don't know, but there are a lot of bad teams, Roger. Well, there are. Uh, getting, I wanted to, uh, you know, what Doug just follow up about Jordan Davis. The uh, mm-hmm. he's playing about uh, twenty five snaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know uh, whether they count uh, the uh, what he plays on special teams as a blocker mm-hmm. on uh, field goals and points after. Right. I don't know, right. you know, whether they count that as snaps or, you know, well, is it strictly defensive snaps? You know, but they're they're bringing him in. But see, they lost another defensive lineman, and that's why they got Quinn. But that mm-hmm. just shows you the way they can make a move, and they have a lot of uh, uh, capital in the draft that they can well, I mean, get rid of and, and not get hurt. So let that. me ask you this. Let me ask this. Do you put that much value? Now, here's a player that could have really helped the Eagles because they needed him. Is a fourth-round pick really that valuable down the line? Well, it's his age, Don. I'm sure yeah, he's 32. Yeah, that's well, the key. But also, also the Bears are are paying, I think, uh, the rest of the freight for his salary this year. So I, didn't why see that. That. I think that was the report that there was about seven million dollars left uh, for the season that the Bears were going to play. So I mean, that's you're trading a guy who had eighteen and a half sacks. You're going to pay the freight for him, and you're going to get a fourth round draft pick. So to me, you know, the Bears probably could have done a little better than that. Um, you know, I would have thought so. Yeah. Well, I see, mean, see, the Matt Ryan deal with the Falcons, I didn't realize until Sunday uh, how bad the uh, cap hit is uh, on the Falcons. Yeah. You know, it's, I thought, you know, are, you make a, you make a deal and, and everything uh, follows uh, and no. goes to the team, where, but it doesn't work that way. Sometimes does it not. does, but, but not always. Well, the salary Roger, you've been, hoping for, you've been hoping for Ryan. You thought this might be a swan song. And you go out on a winning foot, but uh, yeah. unfortunately, he didn't. Not, it didn't work out at all. No, it's no, not no. At terrible. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a terrific guy, uh, tremendous player, and uh, you know, well, Daryl Ledbetter said so many times, you know, he hasn't gotten the credit that uh, he should uh, for the uh, record that uh, you know they've had and the uh, lack of offensive linemen in recent years. Well, it just, uh, it just all came to a head this weekend, and, you know, it looks like his days of uh, unless somebody gets hurt or somebody wants to make a move just as a backup, uh, just, it looks like his days are, are numbered. They mm-hmm. are. Absolutely, I agree, unfortunately. Yeah. I guess it's not tick-tock, tick-tock yet, oh. okay? <laughs> Frank I, is telling I, me I, our time is – Time is up on the back side. So, Frank, thank you very much. Nice job with the controls. Doug, thank you very much for your time as always. Roger and all the other guests tonight, thank you to all of them. We'll all get together again next week. Take care, boys. Have a great week. God bless. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces 
men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see someone in uniform, please let them know that you know they're there. Not everybody in uniform is a bad guy. There's an awful lot of good people out there raising good families. We also dedicate this program to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman, Ger- <coughs> Patrolman uh, Jeffrey Colcott, De- Patrolman De- David Sturtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazwitz, Sergeant Thomas Fabinger, Sergeant <coughs> Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, uh, Patrolman Charlie Connick, Tar- Carson Street Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Levate, Coastal County Sheriff's Department, Patrol Deputy Arnafi Crispin, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerbin, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Office, Captain Craig Matt Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. <coughs> Lieutenant Arthur Cope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Pikes, Wilmington Fire Department. Triple Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogo, Longboat Cape Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Uh, Deputy Mike uh, Evans from uh, Pine Alice County. And Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Office. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rain fall softly on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the hollow of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Shemalek ma'yelama Shemahezahilma Sunashenevoratfet Hakuigaget ma'yelama
1999. County dispatch to 1999. County dispatch to 1999. All units be advised 1999 to respond to his last emergency. And God rest his soul. Good night, Bob. Good night, Bob. We love when you miss you.